1: I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting Great ten sandpaper rubbed on your face every day.
2: I mean, we say it all the time. Whether you know, there's two types of turds: you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean,
1: um, we're we're we are about players and players playing the plays, and not necessarily the plays.
0: Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, I have two of Hill Varsity's uh, best writers. Your favorite writers from Hill Varsity. Everybody at Hill Varsity is really good, but Brandon Vogel, our fearless leader. Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I uh, I wake up every morning and look out of the uh, the window and in, in our living room and curse the Chicago sky for not giving me snow. Um, it hasn't happened yet. I would like to have snow for Christmas, uh, but I guess you know anybody that is listening to this that knows that I like just moved to Chicago would be like, dude. Just, just savor this moment. Just wait for it.
1: In my experience, having lived in Boston for nine years, um, it's never when you want it to snow. It's never a beautiful, perfect snow for Christmas. It's like, get through Christmas. And I don't know about you, but I personally have like a letdown. I really like Christmas. And then like the day after, like, well, that's another year away now. And that's when it will snow in January when nothing is happening and it will just make you miserable. Yeah. So look forward to that. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Steve Mark is also with us. Steve, hello. How are you?
2: Hello, Derek. Hello, Brandon. Good to be here.
0: Steve, how are the Kings doing? You want to talk about them? Or we're going to keep this yeah, strictly a, a, a positive podcast. I'm, I'm,
2: yeah, I'm super glad you asked that. Just last night, great win over the Magic. They really played well. De'Aaron Fox, 33 oh. points, he a, an efficient 12 of 18 from the field. I believe it's going well. Alvin Gentry, interim head coach. I think they're five and three under him. So good job, Alvin.
0: Who is the better lead guard, or, or who who has the bigger upside of the two lead guards between um, De'Aaron Fox and the other guy whose name I'm completely blanking on now? The Iowa Tyrese State. Tyrese Thank you.
2: Tyrese Halliburton for sure I think he's just a better he's a better playmaker um we'll see what the jump shot in his career but um I yeah I just I'd go with Tyrese he's really really good
0: his jump shot is my favorite thing to watch because it's the most unorthodox (laughs) thing I've ever seen in my entire life and I really like unorthodox jump shots um yeah
2: yeah it looks so so terrible it's a push he's pushing it the entire way but whatever sometimes it goes in so that's good
0: Michael Kidd Gilchrist was painful to watch coming out of Kentucky a few years ago when he was playing yeah. for the Hornets painful, but I was always fascinated by it. Cause I, like I said, I'm fascinated by unorthodox jump shots. Um, yep. guys, I have you here to talk about the big news of the week, Nebraska, after what the, the job being open for a little more than three weeks has an offensive coordinator, it has an offensive line coach. Since we last recorded this podcast, it has hired a wide receivers coach. Mickey Joseph is in town from LSU. Mark Whipple is going to be the OC. He comes over from Pitt. And then Donovan Rayola is coming over from the Chicago Bears to coach the offensive line. We'll talk about Rayola in a little bit. If you guys have thoughts on Joseph, we can get to that later. Um, I want to start this conversation with Mark Whipple because he's the big one. He's the offensive coordinator. He's the quarterback's coach. He's going to call plays for Scott Frost. Um, I guess – let's just start with an initial reaction when it was announced. You guys probably like heard his name getting tossed around as we got kind of close to the announcement. It seemed like it was something that kind of came together pretty quickly. Um, he wasn't a name that I think was on a lot of people's lists whenever this whole thing started. Um, but he's the guy now. So I guess um, when, when you realized Mark Whipple is going to be the guy, what, what was your initial reaction? Brandon, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit surprised, and I think he was one of those people where what Pitt did this year would have put him on a lot of lists, but he's got 40 years coaching history under his belt, and you know he's kind of been an East Coast guy for the most part. I mean, he was at Miami uh, for a short spell and then in the NFL, but I think he's one of those guys that because he's been a coach for so long, people – tend to think of those guys as pretty happy where they're at and you know they're not looking to move up the ladder they can be really really selective so my interpretation was that might have been a little bit of why it took them took a while for his name to kind of bubble up in association with Nebraska Pitt also had to go and win an ACC championship so uh, they got that done as well but it's good. I think the major play here for Nebraska, and I'm sure we'll get into more depth with, with this, but I think the major play is that is he's just, is that experience angle. He is an experienced coach. He's been a head coach uh, on multiple occasions. And I think that has the potential to be pretty good for the Huskers.
0: Steve, what about you? What was your initial reaction?
2: Yeah. My initial reaction was um, yeah, that's okay. But then my mind, my mind went, right away to Nebraska's quarterback room and a Mark Whipple offense and just kind of thinking about like, does, does uh, Mark Whipple have a, can um, he pick on, on the Husker roster or does he need to go out and get him one? Um, so that's just where my mind went, but yeah, I mean, they're, look, I mean, Pitt had an incredible year. Um, Kenny Pickett, obviously everybody knows um, what he's done with the, being a Heisman Trophy finalist and the kind of career arc that he's had it's been really special and really fun to watch especially this year and and having it all pay off this year but um yeah I, I really love what Brandon mentioned about the experience factor I think that's exactly what um Scott Frost's staff especially on the offensive side needs is a guy like that with over 40 years of experience um coaching At a lot of different levels, Um, just to have that experience there to like kind of pick his brain and see what he thinks about things. It's going to really help, I think, Scott um, develop as a head coach himself.
0: Yeah. So here's the skinny on Whipple. He's 64 years old. He's got 30 years of play calling experience. He won an FCS title. He coached Ben Roethlisberger and won a Super Bowl. He's been a head coach. He's been an offensive coordinator at a Power Five level, he's been an offensive coordinator at ACC. Uh, with Miami, and then obviously back in the ACC with Pitt. Um, if if Frost was looking for a veteran offensive coordinator with experience calling plays, someone that he felt like he could trust, Whipple checks every single box. And in that regards, or in that respect, I'm kind of surprised that he wasn't a name that like that like made sense sooner in this process. And I'm not talking about for them. Cause they probably identified him. They had to wait. I'm talking about like me. I didn't think he would be a candidate. And then I get to looking at his, his resume and I'm like, well, this is like the perfect guy for the situation because Whipple has been a coach for so long. He's had success at numerous spots. He can afford to take this one year risk. He can afford to come to Lincoln and say, yeah, we're going to try to make this work. And if it doesn't work and Scott Frost gets let go after the 22 season, I don't think Whipple's career is shot. Like I think people would still be like, All right, we'll, we'll still hire this guy. I mean, the track record is what it is. Um, the the offense at Pitt this year was obviously explosive forty three points per game, third nationally. The offense the three years prior is interesting to look at if you look at it from a rushing perspective. in twenty twenty they averaged 3.4 yards per carry, 108th nationally. They averaged 35 uh, rushing attempts a game, 74 plays a game. So when he got to Pitt, the tempo picked up. They were running more plays a game. This season, they've actually run more plays than anybody else in the FBS so far. Um, In 2019, they averaged 3.5 yards per carry. In 2018, the year before Whipple got there, they averaged 5.6 yards per carry. They ran it 41 times a game in the season prior to Whipple's arrival. His first year, they ran it 34 times. Second year, they ran it 35 times. He's been a run or excuse me, a pass heavy coordinator at Pitt. Um, Looking at Miami, they ran it a little bit more than they passed it. But guys, do you think that this is a situation where um, Whipple is coming over and what he can provide frost from a passing concepts standpoint in terms of developing a game plan and calling plays in game will complement what frost can do in the run game. Cause frost's whole thing has been about what well, we're going to combine, you know, the Oregon speed with Husker power and we're going to be able to run the ball. And he clearly likes to run the ball and sees the value in running the ball. Or do you think that there is reason to be concerned about Whipple's lack of, of, I guess, lack of success of crazy success rushing the football at his previous stop, Steve.
2: Yeah, I think he's going to, I, I just have such high, I have him, I hold him in such high regard that all of those years of experience, I think he's really going to come in here, look at the roster, look at the talent that he has and adjust what he does to it. Um. So like, I guess, is he going to come into Lincoln and it's going to, and he's going to try to do exactly what he did at Pitt last like this year, I, I don't really see that happening. I think he's going to look at who he has at quarterback. He's going to look at his offensive line and how Donovan Raiola um, really does work there, ha- how, how much development he's done um, on the offensive line. Because I think really at the end of the day, it really starts with the offensive line and how and how much better they're going to improve and if, and if they can do that. And from there, you build off of the run game and the pass game. And I guess I, I just see it um, going that way. Grannon, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think the kind of either or that you set up is really the whole game. Like, can they marry this? Because Nebraska's offense did a lot of good things. Um, And obviously, Pitts did, um, particularly this year. One of the interesting things about Pitt this year, you know, they're up over 40 points a game this season. Um, When Whipple got there, that was a really run-heavy Pittsburgh offense. And he kind of ripped the Band-Aid off right away. They, they threw the ball 58% of the time about in that year one scenario. But that rush rate creeped up as Pitt got better as a passing team, um, at least from a yards perspective. Uh, so, so that was interesting. I think one of the – just in addition to how much a coach with his level of experience has seen – I also think with the coach who's kind of, who is, is kind of the consummate football lifer, you get a little bit more willingness to be like, you know, at this point, I don't care about like putting my stamp on this thing. Like, let's just figure out a way to win some football games. Um, and it, you know, when you go the kind of experience route versus the, the bold up and comer, it may seem a little bit less exciting. You know, if you're just a fan, you know, Willie Korn was a name that was associated with this. And, and that immediately carries some intrigue, right? Like we've seen what Coastal Carolina has been able to do. It's kind of an exciting blend of these option concepts for a modern spread era. And You're like, okay, well, this, this could be the next big thing. You're, you're not getting the next big thing with Whipple, but you might be getting just a willingness to say, hey, let's, let's figure out what it takes to win some games. And I think that's the key advantage.
0: Yeah, the thing with their profile, their offensive profile this specific season is that they weren't like tearing it up from a yards per play standpoint, from a, from an efficiency standpoint, but they put points on the board. And what it takes to win games is putting points on the board. They averaged 43 a game, third nationally. Nebraska was sixth in yards per pass attempt. They averaged uh, about a half a yard better per pass than Pitt did with a Heisman Trophy contender, at quarter, with a Heisman Trophy finalist at quarterback. Um, yards per play, Pitt ranked 22nd, Nebraska ranked 23rd. So it's not like they were, you know, drastically better moving up and down the field than Nebraska was the thing that they were a lot better at under Whipple than Nebraska has been. And Steve, I'm going to pull this number from a piece that you did on HailVarsity.com, So people should go read that in Whipple's three years at Pitt. The Panthers had 41 touchdowns and two interceptions in the red zone. Nebraska threw 14 touchdowns and four interceptions in that time frame. Um, one of the criticisms of this year was that early, at least early on, it looked like Nebraska was scared to throw the ball in the red zone. Whipple 41 touchdowns in the red zone in three years. That's a big number. Um, see, what were your thoughts on that? When you found that number?
2: Well, um, I want to thank Brandon because he's the one that kind of led me to, <laughs> led me to that stat. But um, again, what, what, what my mind keeps going back to, and again, that's great. Like he, like in the off, to be that efficient in the red zone um with passing, it just opens up the offense so much. So credit to him. But I just keep thinking about how how it's gonna go at Nebraska if he tries to do that with who's throwing the football, right? Because let's just say like if, if Nebraska played a game right now, Logan Smothers would be the one out there. Are we confident in Logan doing that um in the red zone and maybe throwing, throwing as much as as Pitt did in the red zone? Um, I, I guess it remains remains to be seen how effective he can be and how efficient he can be doing that just because we haven't seen um, much of Logan Smothers. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to label um, Logan one way or the other what, of whether he, he's capable of doing that or not, being the type of Kenny Pickett passer um, in, at Nebraska. But, um, yeah, it's it's really impressive what, what Whipple's offense was able to do efficiency-wise, like in the red zone with, I mean, if you're able to throw it and run it down there, that's – I mean, that's so cool. I mean, um, Lubick talked about that um, m- midway through the season when we asked him about the red zone struggles. Um, he, he said that, you know, it's it's great if you could run the ball, but to be able to pass it also and give the defense that extra thing to think about, um, it just it, – that's great. But as you could see with the Huskers this season, it was really one-dimensional. They were they at times looked afraid to throw it with Adrian.
1: Yeah, I I think part of what stands out to me about that, that passing number in the red zone is, and I agree with Steve, like Kenny Pickett is not coming with Mark Whipple. But the part of it that I do think is potentially a little bit portable is uh, to have that level of success throwing the ball in the red zone. Because most coaches you talk to will tell you like a lot of red zone success comes down to being able to run it. And I think it's why every year you see the service academies traditionally have pretty high red zone scoring numbers because they don't have to change their offense at all. Like they just keep running what they've been running for the 50 yards it took to get there. Um, So winning that often in the red zone while throwing the ball tells me it was pretty conceptual more than I mean Pitt had some talented receivers. But it wasn't just, uh, yeah, we threw like 30 fades and we kind of hit all of them. It's it's strong kind of play calling and play design, in my opinion, to have that level of success um, down there where things get really compressed and it becomes easier for a defense to defend most of the field.
0: So what you're saying is they're not throwing swing passes
1: left and right and getting called for holding penalties. Pretty much. Um, I haven't gone back. I haven't gotten the cut up. My cut up guy hasn't gotten back to me. I asked him for all of Pitt's red zone passing plays. Um, might be another couple of days on that, but I'm going to assume that that's probably the case. You've got to be pretty intentional to to hit that number.
0: Conceptual is, is a good, is a phrase. So Sam McEwen had a, a... A, a good piece on Whipple as well for the Omaha World Herald. He had a line in there from from a former quarterback that he talked to where the quarterback said, I never had a game where I didn't go in knowing everything I was going to see from a defense. And that kind of stood out to me um, as something that, <laughs> did Nebraska have that this year? There was a lot of talk, at least early in the season, about, well, they gave us stuff that we weren't prepared for. Um, that's been something that's happened before, I, I guess. Um, h- how do you feel about, this this notion that Frost is going to hand the offense off, that Frost is is not going to be super hands-on and that this is going to be Whipple's thing to kind of to kind of run to and people are going to just roll their eyes to whip into shape.
1: I I, I think it's less of a concern with a coordinator like Whipple. Had they chosen to go or had they had to go the younger route. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it becomes tougher for Frost to give that up, and I'm. I, I think it's still going to be a process. I'm sure there's going to be moments, particularly early next year, where, you know, it's it's kind of a high leverage down or uh, a third down, a red zone attempt where Frost is like, oh God, I, I know what I want to do here, but I gotta, I gotta let him do what he's going to do. So I think it'll be a process, but going this way probably made that as frictionless as it is, it could probably be in my mind.
2: From everything I have, um, I guess known. And since I've been around, um, Scott and, uh, just listen to how he's done everything. I, I find it really hard. And I know the CEO, uh, Trev Alberts wants to have him take a lot of, some of the offensive duties off of his shoulders, um, and, and put it on the OC, and that's and that's good and great and everything. But I just have a hard time seeing a guy who's made his career off of offense and calling these great plays at great times um, that got him head coaching opportunities at Central Florida and now Nebraska. I find it really hard for him just to give that up. Um, so I, like Brandon said, I think it's going to be a process. Um, and just like, you know, start of the season and, and on of just – them them to putting their heads together um creating some trust there um i guess getting on the same page of what they want to do in certain situations i think it's going to be a process and i don't think he's going to hand it over um right away yeah i think it's important to remember with frost he's still a young
0: head coach i mean he's not he's not an experienced head coach in any way so you know there are still times where I think new situations pop up and he has to try to figure out how to navigate them on the fly. That's not to defend him, but it is to, to to sort of set up. I I think this, this marriage can be pretty interesting. Um, You know, if it's only for a year, you know, whatever, Um, because Whipple has been around so long and he has seen so much and, you know, Frost could have maybe gone with a guy like Graham Harrell, who he probably would have trusted just as much to run the offense because Graham Harrell is, is, is an up and, and coming name in the business. Um, but if it, if, you know, if it came down in one of those like high leverage situations, like what Brandon was talking about, I wonder if maybe just the fact that Whipple is what, like 20 years, his superior that frost is, is going to be, there's going to be maybe, um, something in him that says, no, I got to trust this guy. um, Whereas if it if if he had gone with a name like Corn, with a name like Harold, if maybe it's a little bit easier to just kind of take over in situations like that, um, I, and and that's probably the good word, easy. Like how easy is it to to just take over from Mark Whipple? It's probably not going to be as easy as if he would have gone um, with another guy. And you know, I think um, I, you know I, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm kind of curious what he does with his time if he's not full time handling the offense. I'm, I'm curious, like what he turns to, because Nebraska has, I think, a, as of recording this Thursday afternoon, Nebraska has a running back coach position left to fill um, and unless there's going to be some shifting of defensive assignments you know, that running back guy will have to handle special teams or somebody else would have to handle special teams. Who's coaching another position and and it's not going to be much of a change from last year, um, at least least structurally. And so, you know, I just, I just kind of wonder like what, what is frost going to be doing? Um, And I think that there's, there's, you know, this is just, this is just my hypothesis that there's going to be a, a slightly better comfort level with, for, for him knowing that Whipple is in charge of it as opposed to like the up and comer, the Willie Corn, the Graham Harrell, the Anai guy from Virginia, you know, I, I guess you guys agree with that.
2: I do. I think it, it's really going to benefit Scott. Um, like I was talking about earlier with the, with him growing as a head coach. Cause like you, like you said, Derek, he doesn't have a lot of experience many years under his belt of being a head coach. Um, compared to others around the country so I think that just having that you know 64 year old guy in there who's who's been a head coach winning as head coach at Massachusetts history two stints there um, been a quarterback coach has coached guys like Ben Roethlisberger, um Donovan Donovan McNabb guys like that it's it's got to be really tough for him like you were saying to like go into the headset and be like, Oh no, let me, let me have this one, uh, Mark. I'll, I'll I'll take this. I'll take this one. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be really, really beneficial for Scott to just hand it over and maybe stick your head in the special teams room, the linebackers room, the tight ends room with Becton having Becton there too, along with Whipple. That's gotta be cool. Um, Just so much experience to learn from and talk to. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be beneficial for them yeah, and I I saw- better, better than the young uh, up and coming hot name. I think that's like, look, I'm I'm a coastal fan, but like, would Willie Korn be the best thing for Scott Frost right now? No, I, I'm 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 big. I'm big enough to admit that. So, yeah,
0: I, I think I, I saw something that said Kenny Pickett um, would not have come back to Pitt if Whipple hadn't asked him to and if Whipple hadn't been there. Um, and you look at at sort of Pickett's career arc and the the way that he sort of developed, um, could you call Whipple a teacher? And if so, then did Frost need a teacher?
1: I mean, possibly. I I think it's not that long ago. I mean, so seven years ago, six football seasons ago, Frost basically was Grant Harrell. So I think to your point, Derek, or well, Steve's point too, like if the pick had been him, it becomes very easy to then like for, for the head coach to be like, I've been you. And it wasn't even that long ago and two or three years before that Frost was basically kind of where Corn was at in his career. He hasn't been where Whipple has been. So I think it does make it more likely make it a little bit easier to defer. And then, you know, who I guess we would have had a totally different conversation if Nebraska had chosen a different offensive coordinator but they didn't and I think this kind of forces a change that Scott Frost probably needed to make anyway because he's been so closely tied with offense for his entire career which is good. He's really, really good at it. Um, you know, the last two games of Nebraska season kind of showed that, hey, that hasn't faded, you know, as at Nebraska hasn't been able to get on track as a team. Um, but if you're just really good at offense, you're kind of eternally just that brilliant offensive coordinator, right? So it's no guarantee that this is going to, you know, that Whipple's going to come in and this is all going to work perfectly um but i think it gives him the greatest chance and it's something that needed to happen one way or the other and maybe this was the only way to really make sure it happens going into 2022
0: it's interesting that this you know i think if he had hired corn or Harold, i think the response from like social media the response from fans i think would have been maybe a lot more ecstatic maybe um I uh, I asked people on Twitter to respond with a GIF of their their immediate knee-jerk reaction. And I was kind of going through and it was about 40-40 split, people being super excited and people just being like, well, eh, all right, I mean, okay. There were a couple that I had absolutely no clue what their GIF was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a handful of people that seemed generally unhappy. Uh, there were about 10 people who said, I don't care. I literally just want them to win football games. I don't care who does it. Um, but I, I think the split between the like, eh, eh you know, we'll see was interesting. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of Whipple. I uh, I wanted to open this podcast by playing the um, Watch Me Whip song, Nay Nay. And I was like, eh, no, we we don't have cam here. So I can't, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good audio. It would be terrible. And, you know, we'll just... We'll just move on. Um, Donovan Riola. Let's talk about him for a minute. Because this is a significantly different hire than the one that Frost made with Whipple. Um, This is a... This seems like a risky hire. This seems like certainly an upside play. Um, There is a future prospect who could potentially be impacted by this decision, uh, which we can get into if you guys want to, which... (laughs) in this recruiting world of of course that that's part of it of course that's part of it um but it's risk nonetheless this is this is donovan real first uh fbs coaching job he's been with the bears he's been on an nfl staff but he's been with the bears so you know i think jacob made the joke that 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 offensive line should be charged with what they did to justin fields this season or what they have been doing to justin fields this season so um you know, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from Donovan Rayola because it sounds like he nailed his interview, which, you know, for for weeks, that's what I was saying. I was saying, don't hire the person that you're friends with. Hire the person that comes in and knocks your socks off in the interview. It sounds like that's what they did. It's just still a risky play. Brandon, how did you feel about the Rayola hire?
1: Yeah, it's one you really have to focus on the intangibles with because, you know, he's young and early enough in his career that there's, you know, <laughs> Whipple, we could go through his career year by year and it would take us until next, uh, the season rolls around. Might polish that off before before every, the Huskers head to Ireland. But with with Rayola, like, it really comes down to, uh, he played at Wisconsin, which is good, right? If you're an offensive lineman um, under Barry Alvarez, and he was a good offensive lineman there, uh, you've got the dominic Rayola connection, Um believe he was still Nebraska's last All-American on the offensive line um so that's good it should be kind of in his blood or in his bones uh good offensive line play but I mean I'm trying to remember what exactly Steve maybe you recall what exactly his roles were but he's never even been a person in the college level who's been allowed to go out and recruit right he was just kind of in um he was never a full-time assistant coach, one of the 10 spots, was he?
2: Yeah, so I have his um, ro- uh, job roster up here. So he was a high school coach back in Hawaii in two, for 2012 and 13. Then he went to the University of Hawaii, go Bows, um, as an intern in 2014. And then from 15, 16, he was a grad assistant at Notre Dame. And then 2017, he, was, he spent one season as an O-line coach at Aurora University, Okay, which I think is um, Illinois. And uh, yeah, from there, just Chicago bears as the assistant online coach under a really good full-time head coach at Chicago from what I read. So.
1: Yeah. So, so that kind of, for, for me, like the technique piece of it, I'm confident enough that, you know, he should be coming from a pretty good spot. It's just, you know, coaching college football, getting your first full-time, assistant college job at this level with where nebraska's at and the urgency it clearly you know has to feel um it's 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 a big play so i think you're right Derek, and and i do like that piece of it like he must have he must have bat flipped after after that interview because you know there would have been much more kind of experienced options to go for here
0: yeah and it's 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 one of those things where like he 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 would seem young enough he would seem energetic enough to where i I don't i don't know that you should necessarily be worried about his ability to recruit um he just hasn't done it yet so you know to your point you know we'll we'll kind of see with that it is i think it is worth pointing out though that this staff has a number of well-established connections to the state of hawaii that's something that um has seemingly been important to Frost over his coaching career. It's where he got Mariota. It's where he got um, Mackenzie Milton. Dylan Gabriel was from Hawaii. Was he not? Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, maybe that it serves to produce something, maybe not, but I think that that connection is important um, to them. And this hire certainly strengthens um, those relationships that they have in Hawaii. Steve, how do you feel about it?
2: So uh I view Whipple as like kind of like you know what you're getting, like he's been around for so long, like you just know you're getting a pro. I don't really feel that with Riolà, Um, just because he's so young, the the resume isn't long at all. Um, but you know, somebody he's getting a start and I'm with you. I think he's going to do okay, I guess, on on the recruiting trail just because he's young, he's energetic, he might connect better with uh recruits. Um, but yeah, I just would would have liked to see somebody uh, with a little bit more experience like kind of like who's done it before some someone more like Whipple um to take over one to be tasked with fixing i guess one of the offense's biggest most glaring issues is the offensive line and protecting a quarterback um so he's not looking his shoulder looking over his shoulder the whole time um during a play but uh yeah i mean it, it is what it is. Um, the rail connection with Dylan, the 2024 highly touted recruit, that's great and everything, but with the urgency needed now, I think that's so far down the line, but like, of course you always got to recruit 24 seven is, is, is recruiting these days. Um, but yeah, I just think that the recruiting, um, aspect of this with Dylan, his, his nephew is so, I mean, it's important, but not that important right now. I think the issue is just like, you know, who's even going to be your center? Is Cam Jurgens coming back? Is he declaring for the NFL? What's the deal with the two two tackles, Turner Corker and Bryce Benhart? Um, that's that's the biggest issue right now, and I just would have liked to see somebody with a little bit more um, resume to the name, I guess.
0: There's a lot of noise about Cam going to the NFL. Brandon, do you think that's a smart move, or do you think he needs another year?
1: Um. I, I think it, I think it could go either way. Like if he came out, you know, now and said, yep, that's what I'm doing. Be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I think he has a chance to put himself in a really good spot with, with another year. I mean, he's still pretty young in terms of well, just playing that position. Um, unlike, you know, the, the guys he'll be kind of competing with for draft spots. Um just his time there hasn't been hasn't been as long as those, so it's it's not a it's not a slam dunk for me that oh he has to come back because clearly I think he's he's got the interest and the upside and what he's been able to show through three seasons, but um, I mean it it would mean a great deal for Nebraska if if they did get him back, and I think the fact that. And that noise has been out there for a while now. Um, the fact that we haven't heard a decision yet at least gives Nebraska a little bit of hope that that maybe they will have their starting center in 2022.
0: Yeah, it certainly gives um, Rayola time to, I, I guess, re-recruit him or kind of sell him on the vision for for what he has and what they can do. And Whipple, to an extent, as well. Um, I, I, see, I kind of look at it, and I'm like, maybe maybe you guys think I'm crazy for this, but I could see Cam going to the combine and just completely wowing everybody with his athleticism. And maybe a team says, look, we don't care about the snapping. We're going to turn him into a guard. And he's a third round pick. There there is a world where I could see that happening and a, and a not too like far out there world where I could see that happening. Um, Steve looks like you're going to say something.
2: I don't think you're crazy at all. I think he's going to kill it with like the combine testing. Like he's, He's an incredible athlete that uh, was a four star tight end coming out of Beatrice, got moved to an off to offensive line and just has been putting on this weight throughout his career. But he's still I mean, we've seen him like pull on those on some of those plays. I mean, that dude gets out there. He's on his horse. That's so valuable. And when I watch like other linemen across college football, like Tyler, Tyler Lindenbaum, um, the center from Iowa sticks out to me. Um, just the way he pulls and he's so fast and getting out in front of the ball carriers. It's such an asset to have that. I think, I mean, you're right. Like there's gotta be an NFL, an NFL scouting, um, department. That's just like kind of looking at Cam Jurgens, going like, yeah, we, we take that. We can turn him into something. I, I totally agree with that.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, what have we been saying about this guy for really the last two years? And what has Pross been saying about him since they moved him the center? He said that he's the best blocker on the team in terms of pure blocking ability. And for the last two years, we said, well, when the snap is on target, he's crushing dudes. <laughs> um, it's just the snap that you're worried about. And so if there's an NFL team that's like, look at this dude's combine numbers, we could snap him up in the third round and have a really good guard for us. You know, Nebraska's in tough shape. If that happens, because, you know, they've not done. They've not done enough since moving Cam to center to build depth behind him at center. They've just cycled guards over there and given them backup reps and said, well, you know, this this is what happens, which is probably part of the reason why they've been so reluctant to move off of Cam at center as he struggles, because they just didn't have anybody. So, you know, that'll be really interesting. Um, The thing about Dylan, the 2024 quarterback. You know, there's no guarantee that this staff is here recruiting him when it's time to recruit him. And so from that side of it, like these two hires feel like they're hires made on different timelines, which is really interesting to me. Because if you view Rayola as, the, as an upside hire, a guy in a one-year window making an upside hire would, would seem to signal the guy thinks that he's not in a one-year window, Right. Brandon?
1: Um, yeah, and I'm not sure that I view it as totally a one-year window either. I mean, I they can't go three and nine or even four and eight, or they probably can't have a losing record again. But
0: I saw someone uh, say he should get two more years minimum because of these two hires <laughs> to see what it looks like. I've seen that already.
1: Uh, I, I don't think the hires alone do that. Oh, it all comes down to – to context and do you make progress? Um, so w- we know about Nebraska's you know, <laughs> close game record and um, Nebraska could trot out an entirely new team and with that just coming, well it wouldn't be entirely new, but Nebraska could have just kind of natural attrition and come back when you lose that many games by one score Like, it's very rare for teams not to get some of that back the following year. It's not guaranteed to happen, but it's rare. Like, Nebraska's win total is probably going to be when they open, you know, open those up for the 2022 season. It's going to be in the six range. And if they just, you know, win all the games they should and don't lose the ones or lose the games that they shouldn't win, six and six, that probably does get you a second year. I mean, I think. But again, it all depends on how things look. And so the Rayola thing could be an indication that, you know, the coaching staff isn't going into this as we've got to do it next year. And that's, that's all that there is, which I think is a good thing. It also might be as simple as kind of diversifying your portfolio a little bit. You know, if you've got a Whipple that is the stock that's you know not going to make you rich at the end of the year but you're guaranteed you're pretty much guaranteed you'll you'll be a little bit higher and it's not going to go lower uh Rayola becomes the one that hey maybe this one goes goes super super high because we're in early on it
0: and again this is how assistant coaches get their start is they get a position like this and they blow it out of the water so like there's you know I'm not sitting here saying that you know and and I don't think either of you are as well that Rayola's is not going to work because he hasn't done this before that would be crazy because you know we've seen it happen before um the quarterback thing becomes becomes so important because you know brandon you're talking about win totals like depending if they wouldn't got a transfer quarterback could you see their win total sitting at like seven and a half in fpi with the new with the new season like let's just say they bring in the miles brennan kid from lsu and you look at what they have at, at skilled talent, you look at you know what they've got defensively. You now they're losing a lot defensively, but what they've got skilled talent with the quarterback, with Whipple, could you see them being like six, seven and a half range up in there?
1: Seven and a half might be high. I could see seven though. I mean, that's kind of where they're, from an analytical standpoint, that's kind of where they start 2022 because most of the models that are out there Nebraska should have won seven games this year um so if you got a high profile quarterback and then you you kind of deduct from that the losses on defense and and whatever kind of attrition is going to happen yeah you probably end up in the six and a half seven range um I don't think that's crazy um you know someone like Miles Burden could could get you that uh, the quarterback at Incarnate Word who just entered the transfer portal uh probably doesn't get you that but he's pretty good. Somebody's going to get a steal there.
0: Let's, uh, let's just all read too much into Spencer Rattler's Twitter followers and uh, bump this thing up to nine. <laughs> Steve, what are your thoughts uh, on, on, on all of this that we've been talking about?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge, like betting spread guy, like for um, just determining like wing wins and stuff, but like the quarterback situation for me is just, is going to be really interesting. I really liked uh, Miles Brennan, Um, super bad luck with him with like with the all the injuries and stuff in his career while at LSU but um, I was also going to bring up Zach Zach Gibson from from Akron Uh, unfortunately had his uh, visit canceled his official visit canceled here this weekend but uh, somebody's going to get a good one in in Zach Gibson I think I don't know like I was kind of watching some highlights of him with the old Akron zips and it wasn't that bad to my eyes anyway but uh, yeah um, did he have zip on the ball (laughs) <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> that's a zip on the ball for the okay, good good yeah for sure um yeah you know I don't I don't know The the quarterback um discussion here is going to be super super interesting and um yeah one to keep an eye on
0: I think I think we've reached a point where if they do not add a transfer quarterback something went horribly wrong
1: I would agree and I think this isn't one where you can wait until after spring football, where there'll be you know additional options in the portal because of all of the new coaches on the offensive side, you would want that person to be able to come in and compete for that job and kind of learn on a level playing field with everybody else. I mean, it's not like Nebraska's gonna throw out its old playbook, at least I don't think so. Um, but it's just getting those reps and getting a longer look at the guy a guy you are able to bring in is is pretty important.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm still, and I'm, and and maybe, you know, actually, probably, I'm in the minority on this. I, I just don't know what to make of Logan Smothers at this point. I don't, I don't want to take too much from one game where he ran the ball 24 times. Um, Heinrich Harburg is a blank slate. I like him, but he's a blank slate. Um, let's get Chuba Purdy in here and let's get this thing rolling. Chuba, Chuba, Chuba. Chuba, chuba, i chuba. like him i like him i liked his brother too and yeah, uh, i like brock yeah his his brother's career arc was interesting he went from super exciting youngster to uh i saw people calling him overrated and um yeah iowa state's been super interesting
2: yeah but that's a an entirely hype. different a lot session. of hype on a lot of hype on iowa state and they've had the season that they've had so. yeah, that's an entirely different discussion.
1: Um, well, that, that actually reminds me. That's that's one other thing that kind of I did flag with Whipple was, sure, they averaged 43 points a game. Uh, it took them three years to get to that point. Nobody thought much of anything of Kenny Pickett coming into this year. Um, and, and Steve and I have talked about kind of off pod, like we're pretty certain Nebraska doesn't have that kind of time. So, that that is the one thing. Like you look at Pitt's twenty twenty one numbers, everything looks great and awesome. And, uh, but it was a process process to get there, and he was coming from a super run heavy offense at Pitt. I think Nebraska's been a little bit more varied, but the quarterback discussion made me think of that.
0: Well, you look at Pitt's twenty twenty numbers: fifty eighth nationally in scoring, ninety sixth in yards per play, eighty eighth in yards per pass, hundred eighth in yards per rush. Like it wasn't it wasn't a prolific offense. You know, maybe people in Pittsburgh that were around the program saw like the makings of what was coming from Kenny Pickett, but certainly no one else did, um, which is kind of the way things, these things go. So we'll see any other Mark Whipple, Donovan Rayola thoughts that you guys have that you want to hit on before we move on. No.
1: I'll just add this on Rayola quick from the people I've talked to. Like, I do sense that the enthusiasm level with him getting this job, the enthusiasm level on his end is quite, quite high. So I think you said it earlier, Derek, you know, this is how great coaches, they all got to start somewhere, right? Like they got to get that job. That is an encouraging sign to me of it seems clear right away that this isn't just another stop in the coaching journey. This is a job that matters to him. And and I think that probably played a role in why he's there.
0: And he certainly has um, a nice set of ears to uh, ask questions of. He's got a a nice little um, support system built for himself. If he has any offensive line questions or any Nebraska questions or anything like that. Uh, I I didn't get to talk about Mickey Joseph on the podcast last week because we recorded. And then the day that the podcast loaded, he was announced as the coach. I am super excited about Mickey Joseph as a wide receivers coach. I'm hella excited. I would say. Um, I thought it was a big moment, big, big moment for Scott Frost to get him after not getting him a year ago. Um, and And I think a lot of the excitement stems from his ability to recruit which we saw like a day later, he was out on the recruiting trail doing stuff for Nebraska. His intensity as a recruiter, he's been one of 247's top recruiters in his career. He's signed a buttload of four-star players. He's put dudes in the draft. He's developed guys who were not super, super high-profile wide receivers and put them in the draft. Justin Jefferson was a three-star coming out of high school. And then Mickey Joseph got his hands on him. And now he's, you know, now I don't want to take away from what the guy did, but like Mickey Joseph did well to put him in the NFL. Justin Jefferson's really good, but Mickey Joseph did well. Um, are you guys as equally excited about the Mickey Joseph hire as I am Steve? Where you at?
2: Yeah, I'm super excited. I'm with you. I I've just been glued to Twitter and just like seeing him sling out all these offers to these Louisiana kids. It's great. It's the coldest to ever do it. Oh, Dakota's Crawford. Oh my gosh. And another one, Trevante citizen. That's another cool last name, but anyway. um, Yeah. I mean, what he's doing down there, it's 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 giving Nebraska like a shot of momentum, a shot of juice on social media with these kids, too, because everybody's like seeing like all the LSU kids decommit um, after that Brian Kelly um, hire and just, you know, just to have teammates and kids and friends that they know picking up offers from Nebraska about you know cuz everybody knows Mickey Joseph down there the word has got to get around that wow this guy is like trying to build something trying to like get all these kids up there and just kind of like be the, be the guy down there um i think that's kind of cool and i think recruits are seeing it as kind of a cool thing too now i'm not saying he's going to go out, go down and like rack up any of these commits from these kids but it's a start and like i don't know i think it just gives the program Um, a shot of momentum and kind of opens these eyes from these uh, Louisiana kids that like, Hey, Nebraska could be an option. So
0: Brandon on the excitement scale with the low end being opening act Scrooge and the Christmas Carol uh, and the high end being Hella, which I don't think I've ever heard you use the phrase Hella before. Where are you at (laughs) with Joseph?
1: Uh, I would put myself at um, getting to eat at a restaurant that I've always wanted to eat at and knowing that like two days in advance, because I think that's what Mickey Joseph is. He's the guy who can get you a table at all of the restaurants that are impossible to get a restaurant reservation at. And it doesn't mean like Steve said that, you know, they're going to land all these guys, but Mickey Joseph opens that door. He's like, he says, I can, I can get you in there. And It's just a different level that he's recruited at that you have to recruit at to compete at the LSU and in the SEC, and you just are around your circle includes high, high level players. So it's not just the connections, but then it's being able to connect with those connections that just where you have been kind of lead you naturally too so nebraska is going to be in on some guys not just this cycle but i think what well, we'll probably see it even more in with the next recruiting cycle uh, of guys who you probably wouldn't have it in with and that's what hiring a high high level recruiter gets you
0: yeah i think quarterback is obviously going to be the most impactful decision that's made on nebraska's offense this offseason um Steve, I agree with you in, in thinking that the offensive line is is super important and needing to get it figured out because I, I think the offensive line was the reason that they uh, struggled as much as they did this season. Um, but I, I would I would think that like, convincing Xavier bets that uh, your future is incredibly bright and your future is incredibly bright at Nebraska in a Nebraska uniform. So please stay and be part of this is like one of the five most important offensive jobs this offseason, And like, you just have to feel good about Mickey Joseph's ability to do that. I, I you know, I wrote this in my columns, not going to belabor the point, but hit him walking into that wide receiver room. I would have to imagine that all of those guys in there are super excited. Alante Brown, Omar Manning, Xavier Betts. I would have to think that they're all super excited to get to work with this guy. Right.
2: I completely agree. Um, I'll, I'll add like those young receiver names too. Cause I mean, you, you, you said it when, when Mickey Joseph was hired, I immediately thought Xavier Betts and I immediately thought Omar Manning and I immediately thought Alante Brown. I'm like, could these guys be on the field at the same time? Like next year? Wow. Like that could, that could be something, right? Um, but so, yeah, I mean, m- maybe that, maybe that opens up that possibility and what an offense looks like with all those guys out there consistently getting game reps um, and again, like the super young guys, like the first and second year guys, like Sean Hardy, Latrell Neville. I know Latrell Neville had like a heck of a recruiting. Um, a lot of guys were a lot of schools were after Latrell Neville coming in. He's like really at really physically impressive looking guy. I saw him at one of the Friday night lights camps, six foot four, like around 200, 200 pounds, but he didn't get any playing time this year. But um, just having Mickey Joseph come in here and I've watched, watched videos of him kind of teaching his teaching his wideouts on YouTube. He's just a cool dude. I think he's going to really connect more, more so than any other people who have tried to connect with Nebraska's wideout room Um, guys. So I I just think it's a really exciting time to be a Nebraska um, wide receiver. Now, again, that it begs the question, who's going to be throwing them the ball and how accurate is that guy going to be? But that's, I mean, they're working on it, I guess, but just specifically with the wideout room. I think it's incredibly, incredibly exciting.
1: Yeah. I, I kind of, in addition to some Nebraska's kind of best options, which we're still waiting to see because they just haven't been on the field consistently enough. uh, You've got some high talent guys in Betts and Manning that this could be the change that, that, makes things click for them a little bit better. But my first thought actually went to because I really liked Nebraska's wide receivers class um, last year and didn't see any of them this year, which may end up being a good thing. It's curious now, but may end up being a good thing down the road. You know, Neville and Joseph, I think even, you know, we're pretty closely connected uh, in the recruiting process. So, so that's a, a bonus and, um, and then you'll probably, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. Like we've all, we've kind of, maybe I'll, I'll just speak for myself, not collective we. You know, this class was kind of a strange one. You just kind of put it over there and be like, yeah, it'll be like 13 guys because that's the reality of it. But with all of the change, uh, with the departures that we already know about that are official, um, you know, I'll be interested to see how big this class goes because I think they're going to have a chance to have some momentum. And on some of that will depend on what they end up doing in the portal too. But I think you're going to have a pretty good amount of new blood in for Nebraska by the time spring football gets here.
0: Yeah, and the other thing with Mickey, um, the the uh, I guess intensity with which he attacks recruiting, um, he's he's going to be the, he's got the recruiting coordinator title, doesn't he? Am I correct in in that?
2: So the three think- guys. Oh, go on, Brandon.
1: Yeah, it, w- it wasn't with the initial announcement, um, but they've only got that one spot still to fill. Um, so it seems like something that could be coming down the road, But because he was the passing game coordinator and associate head coach. Okay, those are the uh, three. Yeah,
0: yeah, the passing game is the one. Okay, well, either way, Ryan Held did a lot of recruiting for them. And the way that they structure their recruiting amongst the assistant coaches is, is they don't just go based on position. They go based on region. Um, so Mickey Joseph is not going to solely recruit wide receivers for Nebraska. And Ryan held was a good recruiter. He was one of the top two, four, seven recruiters um, early on in the Nebraska tenure. And he was a guy that I think, you know, they were going to need to replace what he did for them from a recruiting standpoint. And I think Mickey does that. Um, I think it, I, I think that, that uh Deserves to be said. One thing I would like to talk to you guys about that I did not prepare you for, that is not Nebraska related, is the Heisman finalist selection. Will Anderson is not a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, despite Alabama listing him with 32 and a half. Other places list him with 31 and a half tackles for loss, a boatload of tackles for loss. He leads the country in tackles for loss. He's got 15 and a half sacks. He is not a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Aiden Hutchinson is at Michigan. Everybody's pissed off that Aiden Hutchinson is a finalist and Will Anderson is not. I am pissed off that CJ Stroud is a finalist and Will Anderson is not. Someone explained to me why CJ Stroud is a Heisman finalist. I understand Bryce Young. He had his moment in the SEC championship. Fine. No one can take Kenny Pickett off the list. I will fight you if you want to take Kenny Pickett off the list. Why is CJ Stroud on there?
1: Because the numbers are good, um, but it's, it's actually not even that. Um, so I have a Heisman vote, and I can't tell you who I picked. Otherwise, the Heisman copter will land on my lawn, <laughs> and like Mike Rozier will bust through my window, uh, <laughs> SWAT style. they're very serious about not revealing uh your picks before it has been announced so i will abide by that but i really hate the tendency of like the de facto selections are the quarterbacks for the best two or three teams in the country i mean it's just become what it is and like bryce young in the fully deserves to be there cj stroud put up numbers that are comparable slash better than most quarterbacks you should select, but there were times during the season, and this changed with me for Young a little bit. Uh, not so much with Stroud, where it just felt like, it was like, well, yeah, this is just what you do. And, and and I I hate that the Heisman has that tendency, but it's why the kind of like lists always include those guys, no matter how much football they've played. And, and and they're always right there. Um, so, yes, I will say that impacts my voting strategy, which is all I can say about that.
0: Stroud had 3,800 passing yards. He had 38 touchdowns, five interceptions. He's there, fine. Ohio State had a prolific offense, fine. They have the best wide receiver room that's ever been put together, fine. Will Rogers had 35 touchdowns, eight interceptions, better completion percentage, 4,400 passing yards. I think... We have reached a point with sort of the offensive evolution in football, some of the rules changes, things like that, where I think we have to reevaluate the way we evaluate quarterbacks. Because I think Kenneth Walker should be there. Aiden Hutchinson should be there. And Will Anderson should all be there. And I think Kenny Pickett should be there too. Um, there's, there's, There's no reason we couldn't have five finalists. None. There's there's no reason we couldn't have five. They decided that we're just going to stick with four going forward. There's there's it's not there's no reason for that. There were there were five deserving guys, or probably more deserving guys. And I don't want to be like CJ Stroud did not have a good season. CJ Stroud is not deserving. That's not what I'm saying. Will Anderson deserves to be there in my eyes a little bit more than CJ Stroud does. And I think it highlights the issue when Sue didn't win the Heisman that season. It seemed like, okay, we're never going to get a defensive player to win the Heisman again. It's just never going to happen. If it it didn't happen with Sue, it's just not going to happen. And now Will Anderson isn't even a finalist. And it was like, oh, but Aiden Hutchinson is there. So, of course, it's a defensive award. feels like we've reached a point where they will put a defender on the list as a token defender to say, no, we did this. Oh, look at this. Bryce Young is going to win the award. He's going to win the award. Aiden Hutchinson is not going to win the award, but he's a finalist. Fine, we put a guy on there. Don't get mad at us. We put a guy on there. There's a defensive guy on there. He technically has the ability to win. It shouldn't. It doesn't have to be an either-or situation. Like, did Will Anderson have a greater impact on his team's success than C.J. Stroud did this season? And with the way football is trending, with how nuts everybody is to try to find a dominant edge rusher like a Will Anderson, like an Aiden Hutchinson, you could maybe argue that he did.
2: Steve, thoughts? I don't have many thoughts. I'm very like I don't have a huge opinion on like award season, like the Heisman No, I need you to get super worked up about this.
0: <laughs> I no, this okay, is this is this take- is a
2: thing with college
0: football. yeah Everybody everybody is snubbed, your teammate is always snubbed. You got to always be mad. No one ever gets it right. You gotta
2: have you gotta have strong emotions one way or the other. I agree with you that if anybody's going to be taken out, I'm taking out CJ and inserting Will Anderson because I really love watching Will Anderson. I agree with you that Bryce Young is probably going to win. Um, you can't just what he did against Georgia in the SEC championship was too hard to like forget. I'm never going to forget that. Um, I don't. I, I just. It's always going to be the quarterback. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like they're, they have the ball in their hands the most that you always see them. They're the most important player on, on the football team. I just think that it's turned into a, a quarterback, a quarterback award and sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a bad answer, but that's just how I feel about it. I mean, it's not a bad answer. Cause that's like their answer. They're just like,
0: sorry, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like that, that seems like that's the answer. Like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. It, it, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you throw for 4,000 yards and run people out of the gym. Like is what's going to happen. I I mean, like, you know, you can't get mad at CJ Stroud for being a Heisman finalist. Like he completely obliterated Michigan state in in a huge game, just, just completely took them off the field by halftime. So you can't get super mad, but I, I guess that's, that's my lot in life. I'm getting mad about these things.
1: I'm disappointed in Steve for not taking up the charge for Grayson McCall. I was sure that was going to happen, um, but he's right. It's a quarterback award. You know, I, it does seem, and I'd have to go back and look at the finalists, but it does seem like a defender gets there more often. So I do think a, some sort of tide is very, very slowly turning in that it's, well, I, I think for some people, it becomes a little bit of a protest vote because a defensive player isn't in there. I think you see a few more people each year saying, no, we're We're trying to change that, but it's not running backs. And wide receivers don't even win the award very often happened last year, um, but it stood out for, for that reason. So yeah, unfortunately it's, it, it bothers me that there seem to be two big dots, who's the quarterbacks, which teams are good. And a lot of people just draw the straight line there, and that ends up being the Heisman Trophy.
0: Could we not put the Western Kentucky kid in there?
2: He threw for fifty six hundred yards and like, like yeah, but fifty six group... touchdowns. Yeah, but who's he playing, Derek? Come on, Group of Five competition, <laughs> duh. I'm gonna call you Kirk Herb Street from now on. No, I love. Gr- I know. Hey, I'm a Group of Five guy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm just saying what they would say. Okay, that's fair.
0: That's and great. hey,
2: good, good hire by Texas Tech, right? For that OC, OC job.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, unless you guys have any other thoughts, I'll, I'll let you go. I've had you for a while. I'm sure you both got stuff you got to do. So cool. Thank you both for coming on. I really appreciate it. It was good to talk to you guys. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Derek. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, keep reading heoVarsity.com. Brandon has his own podcast, the ID Preview Podcast. There are also a number of other podcasts that you can listen to subscribe to, review. We are a proud part of the Herd App Media Network. Shouts to you guys for listening every week. Shouts to Cam for producing this every week. Shouts to my two guests this week for putting up with my nonsense for an hour. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. A Herd App
2: Media Production.